There will not be a partial government shutdown tonight, but we might be talking about one next Friday. The steps lawmakers took yesterday only stave things off until March 8th unless they can come to further agreement on the budget. The news capped off a week where Republicans found themselves at a major pivotal point over how MAGA, their next leader, should be in the Senate. That's where Supreme Court justices are confirmed. The current Conservative Court announced this week that it will hear whether former President Trump has immunity from prosecution for trying to overturn the 2020 election. Our Friday Politics Roundtable joins us to discuss this. Sabrina Rodriguez is a national political reporter for The Washington Post. And Sahil Kapoor is senior national political reporter at NBC News. Welcome to both of you. Great to be back. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell's announcement Wednesday that he is stepping away from leadership after nearly two decades called attention to some political fault lines. One of life's most underappreciated talents is to know when it's time to move on to life's Next chapter. Sahil, you've been reporting about what was left unsaid in that speech, that McConnell has actually lost control of his conference and the GOP to Trump. How did that manifest this week in Congress? Well, there were two big reasons McConnell decided to step aside. This has been a long time coming. The first, which he did talk about, was his age. He is 82 years old. He mentioned he's no longer a young man. He was first elected to the Senate 40 years ago. And this year will mark year 18, where he's held that Senate Republican leadership uh, the top position. That's a, a record in Senate history for anyone um, you know, holding a position like that. The second is the political reason, which he sort of alluded at, but mostly left unsaid, which is the fact that Donald Trump has, uh, you know, emphasized, strengthened his grip on the Senate Republican conference, which used to be much more in the direction of McConnell and his brand of politics. It's moved more and more toward Trump. And McConnell saw the writing on the wall here. We saw a very stark example of this just a few weeks ago when McConnell uh, cut a deal and helped write a bill that would grant Ukraine aid and toughen border security laws. And in the end, just four of his uh, you know, of his 49 cent Republican members voted for it. It was a very stark, uh, you know, indication that Donald Trump is now in charge here, not Mitch McConnell. So Sabrina, speaking of Trump and a potential replacement, two of the leading candidates seeking to replace McConnell have clashed with Trump at times. There's John Thune, South Dakota, who said Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election would, quote, go down like a shot dog, end quote. Uh, and then Trump called John Cornyn of Texas a rhino or Republican in, in name only for trying to pass gun restrictions after the school shooting in Uvalde in his home state. Now there's a third candidate, also John Barrasso in this case of Wyoming, campaigned yesterday with Arizona Senate candidate and election denier Carrie Lake saying this about her. I think our country would be much better and much safer if we had Carrie Lake as a member of the United States Senate. So who's likely to prevail among the Johns or is there someone else? What's going on behind the scenes? I mean, I think it's kind of early to to tell. The reality is that it's a wide open affair and there isn't really a, a clear front runner at this point. But you know, there's no question that these top contenders are going to be trying to jockey for support within the conference, but are also going to be vying for, you know, either an endorsement from Trump or Trump's silence and, and the hope that he will not weigh in. Um, it's very hard to picture a world in which Trump is not going to be vocal about who should be the next Senate GOP leader. And I think they all know um, that, that that would really doom their, their kind of run to be 
a leader. But right mm. now it's early to tell. And, and the challenge will be, you know, who is Trump going to back? And and I just want to ask, because Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump, while they may have some style and political differences, they both heavily shaped our current Supreme Court. And this week it decided, after two weeks of deliberations among the justices, to hear questions of whether Trump is immune from prosecution because he was president, but in April. And that could potentially mean that special counsel Jack Smith's case centred on Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election just might not happen before November's election, Sahil. How consequential was the court's decision and timing? Very consequential. What the Supreme Court did greatly helps Donald Trump run out the clock, which is uh, his legal strategy from now uh, through the, the election. This immunity claim is now going to take months to resolve by the Supreme Court. A decision is expected by the end of June. And that means that the election interference case may never go to trial uh, before the election, certainly won't end before the election. That's a consensus of legal experts. And critics of this decision accuse this conservative court, one third of which was picked by Trump, of essentially running interference for him because they waited so long to make this decision. And now it's going to be several more months before the immunity claim is resolved, even if it isn't resolved in Trump's favor, which is, again, the expectation that, you know, the justices are not going to say presidents are completely immune from any and all criminal prosecution. Uh, it's a very far-fetched theory, but regardless, just, dr- you know, running the clock here for a few months can help Trump because the expectation is if he wins the election, he could seize control of the Justice Department and simply make these charges go away. That is what his last remaining rival, Nikki Haley, uh, the Republican presidential candidate, told my colleague Kristen Welker uh, in an interview that these election interference and other Trump legal cases, in her view, need to be uh, dealt with before the election because Trump is going to try to make them disappear if he wins. So, Sabrina, meantime, campaigning continues. Former President Trump, current President Biden, both in Texas yesterday. Trump went to Eagle Pass, where border crossings are up, and he repeated rhetoric about migrants that has caused outcry from critics in the past. He also blamed Biden for the murder of a nursing student in Georgia last week. The monster that charged uh, charged in the death is an illegal alien migrant who was led into our country and released into our communities by crooked Joe Biden. He's crooked. So a lot in that. Are voters getting that Trump could have gotten a border security deal in Congress this year if he backed it, that Trump uh, overstates migrant crime rates? Uh, I'm wondering, or is this an issue that has bedeviled even Republican presidents for decades and has traction? Yeah, I mean, this is an issue that that voters are paying close attention to. I mean, there is so much frustration, you know, regardless of where you are in the country, regardless if you're talking to Democrats, independents, Republicans, there's a frustration on a feeling of inaction. Naturally, if you're talking to, you know, Trump's base of voters and, and staunch Trump supporters, they're saying, you know, well, Democrats haven't done anything, Biden hasn't done anything, and they're not blaming Trump and think he would be, you know, forceful if he came back in office. Um, But there is, you know, what we're seeing from the Biden administration right now, and specifically President Biden, is him trying to go on offense on this. He realizes that this is a real vulnerability he has in this election year. It's an issue that Republicans have really seized on throughout his presidency that has only increased as, you know, you've seen surges of migrants in Democrat-run cities and, and Democratic mayors and governors also speaking up to to be critical of the administration's action or inaction on immigration. And now he's really trying to hone in on this message saying, you know, this is not a Democrat's fault. This is Congress's inaction. This is Trump, you know, stopping Republican senators and Republican House Mm. members from voting on a bipartisan deal. 
Uh, But there was some outcry about that. Uh, Let's just listen, actually, to what the president said. Instead of playing politics with this issue, instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, join me or I'll join you in telling the Congress to pass this bipartisan border security bill. We can do it together. You know, outcry there, Sabrina, from progressives at Biden's invitation to Trump saying it legitimizes the anti-immigrant policies that Trump stands for. You also reported from Arizona. How is immigration playing out there? And, and, you know, I'm saying that in light of the fact that it feels like there may be an executive order that he might announce, possibly in a state of the union, to, to do even more harsh things like limit asylum or quickly deport migrants, things that have never really been on a democratic immigration agenda before now. Yes, I mean, there's a frustration amongst immigration advocates, um, you know, progressives and, and immigrants themselves living in this country that are saying, you know, Biden came into office talking about, you know, undoing Trump era policies, talking about creating, you know, a compassionate, fair, humane immigration policy, and now is adopting, you know, strict border security messaging, talking about you know, passing some of the strictest reforms that we've seen, you know, in Congress with that bipartisan bill. So there's certainly a frustration among, a, you know, a segment of the Democratic Party and, and even independents I met in Arizona saying, you know, he hasn't put enough effort into actually helping immigrants in the country. And then, and then there's really a, a sense of frustration to see that now he's doing it in an election year. And there's a feeling of whether he actually will accomplish anything, whether it is border security or anything else on immigration. So, Sahil, we we don't have a lot of time left. I want to touch on Israel. Biden walked back remarks that a ceasefire could come Monday between Israel and Hamas in Gaza. That was after television images uh, showing desperate Palestinians dying in a mad scramble for humanitarian aid. Uh, There are conflicting accounts of what happened there. Um, More than 100,000 voters in Michigan picked uncommitted instead of him in the Democratic primary this week. Are there any signs that Biden and his campaign heard that uncommitted vote as a critique of its support for Israel? Um, Do you anticipate any pivots? Well, they're certainly paying attention to that. And although they are downplaying uh, the impact of that uncommitted vote because the election is still far away, this is something that the Biden campaign and its allies are very closely attuned to. The fact that young voters, uh, progressive voters, uh, you know, voters in the Democratic coalition who are who are more sympathetic to um, the plight of Palestinians and what's happening in Gaza right now are, you know, strongly disapprove of the way President Biden has handled this. And they believe he has not been nearly as tough on Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu as he uh, should be. There are growing calls within the Democratic Party for the Biden administration to change course on this. They've been very reluctant to. The president has been very reluctant to change decades of U.S. policy toward Israel in a moment like this. But Uh, The political challenge for the president endures because he's going to need to recreate that coalition of young voters, of progressive voters who are unhappy with him right now. There is still time. But the question is, is time going to resolve this itself or is he going to have to give them something to show uh, that he is listening Mm. to them on this issue? And we'll see what happens. Super Tuesday next week, a lot more voters are going to have their say. Sahil Kapoor, senior national political reporter at NBC News. Sabrina Rodriguez, national political reporter for The Washington Post. Thank you so much to both of you. Thank you. Thank you.